The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida. We're online at westpines.org. Catching a wave is a, an exhilarating experience. I've only tried to surf a couple times, but is there anyone out there who's uh, as a surfer? We have any surfers out there, a couple people who've tried to surf? Don't leave me hanging. There's got to be someone. Okay, I see three of you. Okay. Um, if you've ever tried that, or maybe you've tried uh, bodyboarding or paddleboarding, and um, when you catch a wave, even if it's a small wave, that raw natural power kind of pushing you to shore, that's a really exhilarating experience. If you don't catch the wave, however, man, that wave can own you, okay? And it doesn't matter if it's like a small wave, like if it's like five foot or six foot. I mean, and we don't get very big waves around here at the beach, but even like a small wave, five, six feet, like the power of that, it, it can just, you could be flailing around under the water, just smashed into the bottom of the ocean. I mean, it is, the waves are really, really powerful. And so when all of that together is what made me just so amazed at this news story I saw Uh, Something that took place several months ago is that a guy set a record, a guy from Brazil, went over to Portugal and off the coast of Portugal set a record for successfully surfing the largest wave uh, ever to be successfully surfed, okay? That wave was 80 feet tall. Now, I want you to imagine like a six to seven story building. And like looking just straight up at that. I mean, I don't know if you've ever just stand in the water and just like even off our coast here in Florida. And like if you see like one of those waves and all of a sudden like the water gets real low and you're like, "Uh uh-oh. And all of a sudden it starts building. You're like, oh, that's not so bad. And then it keeps going. If it goes like six, seven feet, you're like, oh, oh boy. I mean, that, that could be trouble. But imagine standing there as a mountainous, 80-foot wave mounts up, and the thought crosses your mind, I'm going to surf that. Like, just imagine that going in your mind. Okay, I want to show you, what, like, what this looked like. Just look at this picture of this 80-foot wave. Look at that thing. Like, you see that little white line that's just going down? And, and like, at the bottom of that is the surfer, okay? You say, like, I still don't see him. That's kind of what I'm saying, Okay? That is a humongous wave. That guy, he broke the record, the largest wave successfully surfed in history. Guinness Book of World Record winner right there off the coast of Portugal. Now, he successfully surfed it. I want to think about, like, what would have happened if he did not successfully surf that wave? I mean, that is untamed, raw power. All right, now, this idea of catching a wave... This idea of this raw building power starting to surge is underlying the story of Jonah. There's a wave that's starting to build up, a tsunami, really. And and God basically says to Jonah, I want you to catch this wave. I want you to see how this happens. This is in Jonah chapter 1. Let's just start the story today. Look at Jonah chapter 1. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open to Jonah 1. We're going to start in verse 1 and just take a look at the first couple verses and see what happens. Look at this. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Now I want you to look at these next three words. Arise, go to Nineveh. I want you to read those next three words out loud with me. Read it with me. That great city. And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now let's just pause there and kind of regroup and get the context here. The very first words here in this whole story is very simply, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The Bible has a lot to say about that phrase, the word of the Lord, when God is speaking his intentions out. There's a lot that the Bible says, and it essentially says, when the word of the Lord is spoken, it's not iffy. It's not like a maybe. Okay? Let me read you what it says. Let me just look at um, the book of Isaiah. Look at chapter 40, verse 8. Let me just read this to you. It's going to be up on the screens. It says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In other words, everything in this world, it's got a life cycle. Everything will, will wither at some point. Everything will fade. Everything in this world. But the word of the Lord, it will stand. Let's look at it in a different way. This is Isaiah um, 55, verse 11. This is God speaking. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I send it. When the word of the Lord goes goes forth, he's not thinking out loud. When the word of the Lord happens, that's not like a brainstorming session. It's not he's like kind of figuring out what he wants to do and he's just kind of throwing some ideas on the board to see what sticks. When the word of the Lord comes, comes forth, when he says something, it will happen unequivocally, unavoidably. It is necessarily, it is going to happen. I mean, look all the way back to Genesis chapter one. When God invented the universe, It was God and nothing. There wasn't even the concept of space, which we can't even comprehend. It was God and nothing. And it says he spoke forth and things were created. That doesn't mean he spoke it and his construction workers and architects went to work. He spoke into nothing. And it happened. He said, how about the idea of light? And it burst onto the scene for the first time. When he speaks it, It will happen. And so the word of the Lord is coming to Jonah. This is an unbelievably high privilege and enormous responsibility. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he says simply this command, arise. Now we're going to see that word play out a couple times in this whole story. Arise. Go to Nineveh, and he calls it that great city. He's sending him to Nineveh. Is Nineveh another city in Israel where Jonah lives? No. Let me tell you a little bit about Nineveh. Nineveh is probably the largest city in the known world at the time that Jonah's alive. Largest city. Largest metroplex. It is uh, huge by ancient standards. It's the capital of the Assyrians. Are the Assyrians friends 
of uh, Jonah's people, Israel? No. And by the way, to people that they're enemies of, they're really mean. If you do not want to be an enemy of Assyria, you can see by their carvings that um, uh, archaeologists have brought up and the reliefs that they carved and the things that they painted, they were, let's just say, they were very creative in how they tortured their enemies. Their wickedness was coming up. They were a wicked, large, powerful city. They were the powerhouse of the world. And God says, hey, by the way, Jonah, their wickedness has come up before me. I'd like for you to go show up and tell them that I can't tolerate their wickedness anymore. So just go ahead and go ahead and do that, Jonah, please. He says, arise and go to Nineveh. So Jonah arose, it says. Jonah arose and went to Tarshish. Now I want you to see how this played out. He goes down to the port city of Joppa, right there on the Mediterranean coast, And it's not like he's saying, hey, I I need to get on a ship and go anywhere. Where can I go? Tarshish? Great. No, he wants to go to Tarshish. He shows up in Joppa. Where's the first boat to Tarshish? Why did he pick Tarshish? I want to show you a map and show you why. Check out this map of, at the time, look, that's... (laughs) That's why he thought, Tarshish sounds good this time of year. I think I'm going to go there. Okay, remember, like, just past Tarshish, out into the Atlantic, they thought, like, the world just dropped off at that point. Remember? Okay, so, like, like if he knew of Acapulco, he would have gone there instead, okay? He's saying, I want to go as far away as I can. He's looking for a boat to get on, to go um, to Tarshish. And it says this twice. When the Bible repeats something like this, it, it really wants you to pay attention. He says, he's trying to flee the presence of the Lord. Now, let me just ask you like a theological question here. Okay, is it possible to flee from the presence of the almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing God? No. no, it is not possible. Okay, and Jonah is going to learn this the hard way. Look at this, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Let's touch down here quickly. Jonah's fleeing from the presence of God. God says, oh no, you don't. And sends a mighty tempest, like big waves, a storm. It's threatening to break up the boat, like they're scurrying around deck and with every wave expecting the boat to break apart or to topple or something terrible to happen. And Jonah is so confident in his attempts to flee the stress of going to Nineveh, that he's collapsed in exhaustion at the bottom of the boat, so confident that he successfully fleed the presence of the Lord, that he's asleep. This makes the captain mad, who finds Jonah, who's now throwing everything he can off of the boat so that they have any chance of survival. He finds Jonah sleeping. He says, what are you doing? He says, and and he says this command. Do you you realize this is the second time Jonah's heard this command? Arise! 
Call out to your God, which is, Jonah, what you should have done to begin with. Arise, call out to your God. Maybe he will hear us. What's their theology? The the theology of people in ancient times was that every civilization had their own God and their own God had their own territory. And so as they're traveling through the sea, they're wondering, which God's territory did we just cross into? Which God did we make mad? Let's all pray to our own gods. Let's keep going. Let's, Let's see how the story turns out. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Go to verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots. That's like drawing straws or picking a name out of the hat. It's the ancient version of that. Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. You see, God is using that little trick there, okay? (laughs) Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. In other words, I worship the God who's not confined to a single territory. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Okay. Jonah's running away from the presence of the Lord. Gets on a boat. He's out in the sea, feeling good about himself. Takes a nap. Huge storm, like 20, 30 foot waves, maybe. Everyone's freaking out on the boat. They're throwing stuff off the side, trying to lighten the boat so they can make it to shore. They are so scared that they start praying to their gods. They find Jonah sleeping. They say, you pray to your God. They have nothing left to do. They draw straws to see someone has made some God mad. And God's like, all right, I can work with that. They pull out Jonah's straw. He had to know, like, I know this was coming. It's me. Unfortunately for you, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord who's everywhere Then they're really scared. And did you notice what happens? God's like, okay, now that I got your attention, now he sends 30 and 40 foot waves. And they say, what do we do to you? And he says, throw me overboard. That's your only hope. And they say, no, no, we can't do that. They start rowing for shore. And God's like, oh, no, you don't. Now it's 70, 80 foot waves. And they say, like, they say, God, now they're speaking to God. They've abandoned their gods. They're speaking to the one true living God. Did you see this? Lord, 
don't hold this against us. We think this is what you want us to do. And they throw Jonah overboard and he lands splash in the water. And just, I I imagine it, like a hundred foot wave is just about to topple him. And the moment Jonah splashes the water, it's calm like glass. And now they are really afraid. And it says, did you notice this? Like, they make vows and sacrifices to God. Like, all of the sailors are converted. Okay, Jonah's, he says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, go, go preach to Nineveh. I'm not going to do it. He flees. God's like, no, you don't. He says, all right, but I'm going to save all you too. And then sends Jonah back to Nineveh. Do you see that? Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to pause the story here. Now, Jonah is in the water, okay? I'm not going to tell you what happens next, all right? But it's crazy, all right? He doesn't drown, and it's really surprising what he does, but I I can't tell you yet. You're going to have to come next week. It's a little fishy, but that's all I'm going to tell you that's going to happen, okay? But I want to skip ahead And I want to read you part of the end of the story because if the word of the Lord happens, right, when God speaks, it will happen, right? It's not iffy. It's not brainstorming. He's not thinking out loud. If he says it, it will be done. So do you think Jonah's going to end up preaching in Nineveh? Oh, yeah. He ends up in Nineveh. His preaching's not very good. He walks in says what God tells him to do and walks out. He's grumpy the whole time. And I want to just give you a little bit of what happens. Just see the miracle. I want you to see the end of the story. Jonah preaches and then this happens, verse 6 of chapter 3. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he issued a proclamation and and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Did you see that? The most powerful city in the world, the largest city, the most lost city, the most wicked city, hears the word of God. And in one moment, the entire city is humbled and brought down to its knees. Let me ask you, do you think it was because of the preaching of Jonah? Of course not. What's happening in Jonah chapter 1? He's saying, Jonah, he's saying, look out to the vast sea that is my power. And I want you to see Rising up, building, swelling is a gigantic wave 
a wall of power, a tsunami that is about to wash through Nineveh and it is going to wash away all the darkness and evil. It's going to crush all the brokenness and pain and it's going to leave in its wake a broken, humble repentance, a sweet humility before God. He's saying, see the swelling of this mighty wave, Jonah. I'm just asking you to catch the wave. Because one way or another, this wave is going to crash down on that great city. Christian, can you draw courage from that this morning? Can you draw confidence that your prayers, Christian, Your prayers are not waking from slumber, a sleeping God. Your God is living and active and mighty, surging through this world, Christian. Christian, can you draw strength from the fact that that person that you're so brokenhearted in their lostness, the one that you're up late at night shedding tears before God, asking that God would move and draw that lost soul, that child you're praying over, that parent you're praying over, that, that cousin or family member or co-worker or friend or, or, or that, that, that neighbor, that person you are praying over, can you draw strength that you don't have to drum up the Holy Spirit to work in power, but he's inspired that prayerful urgency because there's a wave of his power building ready to crash over that person? Can you draw strength that your prayers are in response to him saying, I'm building a wave, I'm just calling you to catch it. Church, can, can you draw encouragement and rest as you look at the pain that you're suffering in your life? As you're praying good prayers, you're saying, God, I'm, I'm praying that you would show up in my family and in my body and my spouse and my kids. I'm praying that you would show up in the, in the pain of our financial situation, the pain of our, our emotional brokenness. I'm praying that you would show up and you feel like you're trying to wake God up to show up in your life. But Christian, church, can you be encouraged today that the power of God is surging up, raising up like a mighty unstoppable wave? And he's in, that is why he's inspired you to pray, to join in the work he's about to do. Church, as you think about the broken systems that you work in, the things about your workplace that you go every single day and you say, well, could this ever be fixed? The injustices you face every single day in our community the deep brokenness of our city, the deep brokenness and fracturing of our nation, the deep brokenness of our world, can you draw courage from the fact that if he's inspired you to be praying for that, if he's given you an urgency, given you a tears, if he's given you the, 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 the impulse to fall to your knees and beg God to show up and work, can you just believe for a second that it might just be because his power is surging up and a mighty unstoppable wave is about to crash down on this community, on this city, and on this country that we love? Can you dare to believe that today?
There's a book that I read from time to time. It's written by about 100 years ago. It's by an evangelist named R.A. Torrey who preached all over the world. And he points us to what do we do if we're not mustering up and trying to stir up the power of God, then what do we do? We follow the instructions Jonah should have followed to begin with. This pagan captain on this boat gave Jonah his instructions. Arise, O sleeper, and call out to your God. Because if his power is rising up, then we should join him and cry out in prayer, saying, God, do this work and use us. Our first step is to pray. And I go back to this work every few, few years, and, and here's something he said. He said, prayer will do more to bring a deep and lasting and sweeping revival, a revival that is real and lasting and altogether of the right sort than all the organizations ever devised by man. Do you believe that, church? He tells of an unbelievable phenomenon that was happening about 100 years ago. Revivals were breaking out all over the world. You say, well, they're probably a little more ripe for revival 100 years ago. No. He talks about how he was invited to Australia to speak in Melbourne, and, and um, he was resistant to go, but they kept saying, no, we want you to come, and we're, we're sensing a power of God starting to move here. Come and preach for a couple weeks, and he agreed, and when he got there, he realized there had been a group of about 12 men who had been praying for years for revival. In fact, a couple of them had died before those meetings ever started. And he said he learned that there was a one woman that lived in that town that had read a book on prayer and with childlike faith just started a prayer group in her, in her home. And then from there, other prayer groups started. And by the time he got there, there were 1,700 prayer groups dispersed all over the city. And he said God touched down in that season, in that city, and throughout the country of Australia so powerfully. Thousands and thousands came to Christ, and, and it spread to other countries around the world. And he says it was all birthed out of this pleading with God in prayer because every time God's rising up a movement that he's starting to do, he nudges his people to start praying first. He talks about the great Welsh revival at the beginning of the 20th century and he said that he, was, he got there and had the privilege of seeing the first few weeks of the Welsh revival. He got there and was involved in preaching and there's this incredible expectation. Everyone was coming knowing that God would work and he said for the first two weeks they would meet every night and there was preaching that was happening and singing and prayer and they said, but they're all waiting, everyone leaning in, what are you about to do God? And he said, nothing happened. And so after two weeks, they stopped and they called for fasting and prayer. And from that day forward, such an unbelievable move of God, such a, such a revival swept through the country of Wales that they met for every single day for one solid year. And by the end, they estimate over 100,000 people had come to Christ all over the country. He tells the story of his friend D.L. Moody, a famous evangelist, and R.A. Torrey and Moody were friends. And Moody went over to England, and he wasn't intending to preach, but a, a pastor asked him, hey, would you come preach here? And he said, okay, and he preached in the morning. He was supposed to preach in the evening, but after the morning service, he said it was so rough, it was so dry, it was so slow, he described it as, he felt like he was pulling a train uphill. It was just, it was just 
so painful. Nothing happened. And so he told the pastor, I don't think I'm going to preach tonight. Is there any way I can get out of that agreement? He says, no, I really need you to preach. And he reluctantly said he was okay. And he went up in the pulpit that, that night and he started preaching. And all of a sudden, just something released. And he said, it was, so, it was such an unbelievable move of God. He said that at the end, he cast the gospel. He told about the love of Jesus. And he said, if you want to come to Christ, he said, would you stand up? And he said, almost everyone in the room stood up. And he said, surely they've misunderstood he asked them all to sit down, and he said, no, this is what I mean. He gave the gospel again even stronger. He said, would you stand up? And he said, almost everyone in the room stood up. And he said, no, they don't get it. And he had them sit down again. He said, meet, meet me in the multipurpose room later. And they all met, and he gave the gospel a third time. He said, even a larger crowd met after the service, and he gave the gospel again. And, and again, they all responded, and it was, he finally accepted that it was a powerful move of God. And he's relating this story to his friend, uh, R.A. Tori. And Tori says, man, someone must have been praying. And he said, oh, did I not tell you that part of the story? That's the whole purpose of the story. He says, what happened was there's two sisters that live together and, and they go to that church. One is ill and is permanently bedridden and the other one had been in the morning service. And that one sister went home and told her ailing sister, hey, you'll never guess who was here. And um, the sister said, who? She said, D.L. Moody preached at our services today. And he said, the, the ailing sister went white as death. She said, I have been praying for months that God would bring Mr. Moody over from America to preach in our midst. She said, now leave me, close the door, bring me no food, don't let anyone disrupt me because I am going to not stop and pray through the entire night. And he's stirring up Christians in this book to say, Christians, do you realize when God is about to move, he nudges you ahead of time to pray. So that when it happens, you know whose power is at work. Now let me just share with you just more just as family here for a second. And just as just personally. A few months ago, um, Rebecca and I, we left for a few months on sabbatical to just pursue the Lord and for personal renewal, spiritual renewal. And right as we were leaving... Um, I just sensed from the Lord. I just, in that season, I was doing a lot of journaling. It's how God was, was working in my life, and I was journaling. And I just sensed the Lord nudging me, saying, this is not just the beginning of a new chapter. This is the beginning of a new era for South Florida, and God said, and for my church, West Pines, I feel like. He said, I want you, I felt like he was nudging, and Rebecca and I talked through this and kind of wrestled through this. I want you to start praying differently. And the verse through that entire time of way, away while I was on sabbatical, the, the theme verse was from Zechariah chapter 4. That says, not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit. Church, there's a, a, an expectancy right now among our elders and our staff, our leaders, many of you, that are saying, God's stirring something up. There's a wave building. I can feel it. There's a sense inside our church about what God wants to do through our church. There's a sense even outside of our church. People that, uh, leaders that know our church that are watching from the outside, Christian leaders, and many of them almost every week are saying, man, something's happening at West Pines. There's, this, there's a surging in South Florida right now, church. Realize there's an unprecedented unity among churches that are happening right here in this great city. 
That's an answer to the Lord's prayer. In, In John 17, right before he was arrested, he said, Lord, make them unified so so that the world may know that I sent them. There's an unprecedented unity. And there's this sense that God's hand is hovering. We got the, we, we've been planning this series for months, but something got a hold of us as a team these past couple weeks, and this week especially, where we just felt like God saying, my hand is about to come upon you. This wave is about to crash through South Florida and, and sweep through West Pines. But I am not going to lay my hand down until you stop and pray. So that when it happens, you will know that it was not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit. And so we re-engineered this Sunday and we're wanting to do something a little bit different and launch into a week of prayer and a day set aside for prayer. And an interesting thing is it didn't really dawn on us to yesterday as we just have this sense that we're entering into a new era. We just put it together yesterday, of all things, the timing of that nudge from God because today is a significant day. 17 years ago to this very day, 50 or 60 people huddled together at Chapel Trail Elementary and launched West Pines Community Church. (laughs) 17... What that means is on this moment where we're sensing from the Lord a new season is the same, I mean, that doesn't fall on a Sunday very often, but on this same day, we're, we're reminded of how he's gone before us and we're driven to see what's coming in this, in this next season. And we feel like he's calling us to stop and pray. So here's what we're gonna do. Would everyone just take out um, this card? It was on your seat. Um, here's what we're going to ask you to do. Every single, we're going to do something this morning where we're going to read through. We've got a day of specifically a theme for every single day, Monday through Saturday. But today, the first day, we're going to pray through all of these things um, a little bit differently today. And so um, what I ask you to do is take one of these every single day. We're also going to have, you're going to see a video that's going to come out Every single day, just giving you a little more instructions. We ask that you would pray along with this. And here's the thing. If you're medically able, here's what we want to do. Um, If you're medically able, pick a meal this week and fast it. Give it up as a prayer posture before the Lord saying, we are fasting and praying that we might see a work of God through the churches of South Florida, through through our church, West Pines. And so we want to ask you to fast and pray this week. But we're going to do something a little bit differently today. What we're going to do in just a moment, we're going to dismiss early. And what I'm going to ask you to do, and, and if you need to go or if you're a guest here or this makes you uncomfortable, you, you can just head out. You don't need to join us. But for the rest of us, what I'm going to ask you to do is the front half of the auditorium to walk out through those doors, go out that back lobby, take a right, and I'm going to ask you to take this and pray through it as you take one loop around the facility. I'm going to ask the back half of the auditorium to go out that door, go out that door, take a right, and pray through this. And we're just going to have a prayer walk today so that we can stop and remember this day we prayed that God would do a new work here in South Florida through the churches of South Florida and a new work here in our midst. You can walk, you can pray out loud, you can pray quietly, you can pray with someone else. If you need to just head out, you can go get your kids and head out. But if West Pines, is, if this is your home church, I want to invite you to go on this prayer walk. Why? Because we believe that God is at work and we want to, we want to follow his call to rise up and call out to our God. Um, you say, hey, could we not have done this in January when it's a little cooler outside? Well, here's what, one more quote and then we'll go. Real praying is a costly exercise, but it pays far more than it costs. 
It is not easy work, but it is the most profitable of all work. We can accomplish more by time and strength put into prayer than we can by putting the same amount of time and strength into anything else. Church, do you believe that? Yes, I believe it too. Let me close us in prayer, and then we're going to go out and pray together. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are surrendering ourselves to you, and we are asking, Lord, would you work in this great city? You see the lostness. You see its pain. You see its brokenness. Every one of our families, every one of our lives are touched by it. And we want to see such a mighty work in our city, in our homes, in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our friend groups. We want to see such a mighty surging of your power and we believe that you are doing it. And so we are going to pray expectantly and we're going to say, here we are. Would you use us? Would you call us to this effort? So may you be pleased as you see your children trying to catch up with the surging wave that we believe you are doing in your midst. We thank you that you are the same Jesus And so you are going to move in power that the same things you did in Nineveh, the same things you did in in ancient Egypt and in ancient Babylon and the same things you did all throughout the world, you can do today because you are the same, Jesus. We invite you to work through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.